0: You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. This past Super Bowl was the first time recorded that two brothers played on opposite sides of the ball in hopes to win that coveted Lombardi trophy most people in here I'm guessing were hoping that Travis Kelsey won some bragging rights over his brother Jason in the Kelsey bowl and there was their mom with that funny little jersey of half Travis half Jason just so thrilled to be there You know, if Travis and Jason get together over Memorial Day to play a little cornhole and Jason just dominates him like 21 to 1, you know, bags where you throw it in that little thing. Even if Jason wins every game of bags the rest of his life, my guess is Travis is sitting there going, no problem, man, because I got the ring and you don't have the ring. In fact, I suppose Travis could say, I've got two. How many again do you have? Fun to think of two brothers who grew up in the same home, same background, same parents, same culture, but on opposite sides for that Super Bowl. You know, kind of captivated some of us here. Anybody here cares about postseason football? (laughs) These brothers and their rivalry. Part of American history as well, in a not-so-favorable moment of our history, it was the Civil War that put brother against brother. And I actually reached out to kind of the resident historian of Mill Creek. If you didn't know, it's Dr. Carlson. And he was telling me when the Civil War occurred, it wasn't merely a few family members who had grown up in the same home, same culture, same background, and then found themselves on opposite sides of the battle lines. There's history books telling of a brother who is sent on a spy mission and is spying on the camp where his biological sibling is. Even some in battle, shooting at each other. Turns out Dr. Carlson was telling me, Abraham Lincoln had brother-in-laws in the South fighting some of his wife's brothers who all grew up in the same home, same parents, same culture, who came to such opposite conclusions philosophically, politically, ideologically. How does that happen? I mean, we can laugh at the Kelsey brothers, but the Civil War shows us this sort of thing is real. And in our text today, Luke actually has something like this cooking in his mind. Luke wants to answer a question for us, which would be something like this. How do the Israelites, who all come out of Egypt, led by Moses, the Israelites... Who grew up in the same home, same kind of parents, how could it be that these Israelites, God's people, given God's law, could end up with such vastly different conclusions when it comes to Jesus Christ? That's really the truth. If you study any of this story, a few people, a few people thought Jesus really is the Messiah. A few Israelites thought, he's the savior we've been waiting for, whereas so many in Israel. In fact, to this day, professing Jews don't believe Christ is Messiah. How can that be? How can folks who come from the same family draw such different conclusions about Jesus? Well, not much has changed when Luke wrote this book 2,000 years ago, for here we are and Jesus is still dividing the world. And even today, some of you are here, and you have a sibling who does not agree with your view of Jesus. Some of you come from a home where parents don't have alignment. Some of you have friends, and you grew up in kind of the same school, the same area, the same sort of culture, and yet you have come to such vastly different conclusions about who Jesus is is Jesus not uniting like a Kelsey bull, but dividing like the Civil War, bringing battle lines into our lives and families and relationships. And so for us today, how can we determine which side of the battle line is the right side? How do we know if we're cheering for the right Jesus? Or how do we know if we actually have Jesus on our side? In our text today... Luke is going to clarify for us which side of the dividing line Jesus is on. And that's going to help us know where we need to give our allegiance. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open to Luke 11, 14 to 54. We're going to walk through this text and we're going to see Luke giving us four dividing lines. Four battle lines. Here's the line and he's going to show us four ways that we got to decide where are we. If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write these four battle lines as we walk through them. The first one is this, the stronger kingdom. The stronger kingdom. This is the first battle line that Luke wants to show us. And it begins there in verse 14 with Jesus healing a mute man. A man who cannot speak. The community knows he cannot speak. And Jesus heals him. And there are these two reactions. One reaction in verse 15, one in 16. Look there in 15, here's his reaction. One reaction is this. Jesus, you must be demonic. You're playing for the bad guys, and that's where you get your power. The second reaction, verse 16, is, hmm, this is kind of a cool deal, but I want a bigger sign than this. Do something bigger, bro. Bring some fire or something. That's 16. These two responses, Luke tracks in this section... Or rather this first section, the stronger kingdom, is dealing with the you're actually on Darth Vader's side accusation. Look there at verse 17 when Jesus goes after the demonic power allegation. One of the people saying, actually Jesus is playing for the wrong team. Jesus says, look, there is no way that a divided kingdom can actually stand. So of course I'm not using demonic power to cast out demons... That does not work in any scenario, let alone spiritually. You dummies. All right, I added the you dummies part, but. Verse 19, Jesus explaining this first battle line. Him saying, I'm not using demonic power because even your sons do some of this work. And then if I'm using demonic power, would you accuse your sons of using demonic power? And of course they wouldn't have. And just Jesus saying, look, That guy was mute, and he really can talk now. And so if I'm not demonic, then you have to grant. The kingdom of God is here. See, see what what Jesus is saying and what Luke has recorded for us helps us appreciate that even those people alleging he's playing for the bad guys, here's what they had right. There really is a war. And there really is good guys, and there's bad guys. And I know we all love movies, and there's these wonderful movie franchises, and we like to tell each other stories, and we can get captivated with all the stuff that we need to watch and catch up on, but here's what, every story, the reason we love stories so much, it resonates deeply with us, because we know in our guts there really are good guys, and there really are bad guys, and it really matters. And what Jesus is saying here is, you gotta understand, as Jesus, I'm the good guy, and there is a bad guy, and his name's Beazel Bull. And I am fighting this demonic enemy. What kingdom, then, is Christ really in? Here's what Luke wants Theophilus to get, and by us, extension. Christ is in God's kingdom. Beazel Bull is in the enemy's kingdom. Now, maybe you're sitting there going, Beazel Bull? What kind of name is beazel bull what is that good here's the deal you might have heard of the devil beazel bull perhaps not he is a uh, commentator say um named after the old testament god of Baal, who was like this dynasty army leader like the coach of the dy- dynastic biggest team of demons basically he's the bill belichick of demons that's what i'm trying to say okay that's Beezle Sorry, Patriots fans. <laughs> Jesus explaining, I am playing for the good guys, and I am against the bad guys. Now, in case you're thinking to yourself, well, this is easy enough. Why is Jesus taking all this time? Why is Luke taking all this time to explain it? Well, think. They are regular people just like us. And if you saw the kind of supernatural power that Jesus had it would scare you, and it would scare me. Because there's a guy who's really mute. There's a guy who's really mute, who all of a sudden, Jesus powerfully allows this person to speak. And when you see that kind of power, you have to make a decision. You either think, oh my word, you really are incredibly powerful. Because everybody agreed there was power, and he's either a good guy, or there's some who see that kind of power and go, oh gosh, you might be a bad guy. Right, because a few of you are kind of wired for, conspiracy theories Uh, a few of you like to go against the flow so everybody goes yay jesus and a few of you are like well wait wait a minute what if if he's a bad guy and they're just trying to make sense of the supernatural power what they're right about is there is a dividing line what many get wrong is which side jesus is on and that's why he tells this story about the strong man in verse 21 it's an illustration he's saying look if there's a strong man and that strong man has this stuff But then a stronger man comes in and takes over his house. Well, then the stronger man wins. And what the illustration is showing us is Beelzebul, or if you will, Satan, he was the strong man who had possession. And Jesus came in, kicked him in the teeth. Jesus won that Super Bowl. Jesus dominated this guy, and now Jesus is going, I'm in charge now. Jesus is the stronger man. Now, some of these listeners are still confused. So, Jesus offers a second picture of what's happening. Look in verse 24 as he describes an unclean spirit being cast out and then that house being cleaned. But then the unclean spirit comes back and brings seven of their friends with them. And that, 24 to 26, is kind of confusing to us. Here's how to make sense of it. Keep in mind this entire section that Jesus is arguing for. Jesus is saying, I am the stronger man. I am not on the enemy's side. I, I, am, I am against Beazle Bull. And, and look, if you're going to get your house cleaned up and in order, you have to decide which team you're playing for. You can't be the Kelsey mom with a jersey that's stitched up, one-side Chiefs, one-side Eagles. You can't do that. You are either good guys or bad guys. That's what Jesus is explaining. And if you consider the Israelites then, they'd be a good illustration of Jesus' story it would be case in point because the Israelites were called out of Egypt by God. Their house was put in order, if you will, because God gave them the law. But then instead of the Israelites trusting by faith in God, the Israelites created all of these rules and regulations and made themselves think that if we just follow the rules, that's how God can save us. And they totally missed the point that God didn't give them a bunch of rules in Egypt. ...and say, follow him, and if you follow him good enough, I'll save you. No, the sequence always has been... ...God saved them from Egypt, and then he gives the law. Salvation happens, and then we respond in obedience. That's always the sequence. The Israelites got it wrong. And that's why they had their house swept and kept in order. But then when they didn't actually obey... ...for the right reasons and in the right way... ...they ended up worse off than when they were in Egypt... Jesus' point, here it is. There is good and there is evil, and you have to pick a side. No one is neutral. Here's the question then for Theophilus and for us Which kingdom are you in, friend? Which team are you rooting for? God knows. God knows. If you were standing before God right now, what would he see? Which which jersey are you wearing? That's the first battle line. Are you on Jesus' side or the evil one's side? Let's move to the second battle line which is going to talk about the greater sign. If you remember back in verse 14, after that mute man was healed, some thought to themselves, well, Jesus is demonic. We've already covered that one. Others said, we want a greater sign. We want you to do something bigger. That's who Jesus is addressing now. Verse 29, Jesus says, look in the text. Look, I'm not giving you anything more than the sign of Jonah. That's what you can have. For like Jonah was to Nineveh, that's the sign you're getting from me. All right, if you're here and you're familiar with Nineveh and Jonah, this makes sense. For those of you who aren't, what happened in Nineveh was this. There was a guy named Jonah who was told to go to Nineveh and preach repentance. And in case you didn't know, Nineveh in those days would have been like preaching to the Al-Qaeda today, the Taliban. You go, hey, you got to go preach to them. You go, I ain't going to them. (laughs) Or or maybe even worse, if there was... um, if there was a prison in America that was only for pedophiles, that would have been a similar reaction for Jonah to go. It's like, look, I'll preach Jesus to some people, but I ain't going to preach to that place because I, I hate them. That would have been what Jonah is feeling. And so Jonah says no. He gets swallowed by the whale, ends up being vomited. Finally, he's like, fine, I'll go. And then Jonah does. And what does Jonah do in Nineveh? He... Takes three days to walk through the city. says He walks through the city and he preaches a message of eight words. I mean, if you're looking for the most miserable sermon of repentance in the Old Testament, this might be it. It's eight words. This is what he says to Nineveh once he gets there. He says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I did it, God. Hope they figure it out. That's the sign of Jonah. And what Jesus is saying here, the reason he's using that is he's going, to Look, I know you want some big fancy sign. You want me to levitate or bring some fire down or do some crazy gymnastics or whatever, but here's all I'm gonna do I'm gonna preach, and y'all have to pick a side. That's the sign. Verse 31, Jesus uses the Queen of Sheba as a positive example, saying, Look, even this foreign queen. She knew when King Solomon was reigning, she figured out that King Solomon has something special. I need to visit him and talk to him in person. Meaning, even the Queen of Sheba is smart enough to figure out King Solomon had some special word. Verse 32, Jesus goes back to Jonah saying, good grief, Nineveh, that prison of pedophiles if you will it's going to judge you israel because at least they repented and y'all are hearing the sermon and not doing anything about it because i'm a bigger deal than the queen of sheba i'm a bigger deal than jonah and israel you're not getting it he finishes this section with an illustration in verses 33 to 36 saying here's how you know if you believe here's how you know if you're on the right side of this battle line you can see me you see the light The contrast of that is, of course, is if you don't see Jesus, you're in the dark. And if you're in the dark, judgment is coming for you. The Ninevites, the Queen of Sheba, they saw the light. They saw that salvation is by faith. Salvation is not by works righteousness. Those who are in the light are on the right side. This is the battle line. If you have the light of Jesus, you're on the right side if you're in darkness, you're on the wrong side. Here's the question for Theophilus, the question for us. Dear friend, do you see the light? Do you see the light? Cuz if you're sitting here right now and you're going, they've no clue what this light thing is. Then I hope it's red alert in your brain you even right now ask the Lord, please show me the light. You need the lights to come on. You're in the dark. And this is scary because if you're in the dark, judgment is coming. And I know the word judgment is not explicitly in this section, but it is baked into every part of these battle lines. If you're not on the right side, you are going to face God's judgment, and that is scary. That's the second battle line, light versus dark. Move with me to the third. If you're taking notes, Put it like this. The truly clean. The truly clean. Here's the third battle line. Verse 37, Jesus is invited to a dinner with the Pharisee, but Jesus doesn't wash his hands the right way. I don't know if you had to do three pumps and then 16 little over-unders and sing happy birthday in their house. I don't pretend to know what the regulations are, but Jesus didn't do it right. And that is astonishing to the Pharisees who always wash their hands the right way. Which... Hacks Jesus off enough, he lets him have it. Look at him. Y'all religious leaders have the wrong idea about what is really clean. You do all this extended washing and rigmarole, but inside you're full of wickedness. Woe to you for tithing on your garden veggies, but not caring about true justice. Which is to say, church, if you're going to pick one thing this afternoon to care about, tithing on your garden veggies, or true justice, pick justice. Woe to you, 43, you just want honor and approval. Woe to you, 44, you are unmarked graves which the Israelites are walking over. Which, this is what that means. In Israelite culture, you never walked over an unmarked grave that would defile you. That would spoil your your ceremonial cleanliness. So if you ever walked over an unmarked grave, you'd be like, oh, it's like in dodgeball. You're out. You've you got to go clean up for seven days or whatever that thing is. What Jesus is saying is, you are the professionals who are supposed to help the Israelites keep ceremonial cleanliness, but in fact, you are making all of these people ceremonially unclean. You are the unmarked graves. And understand how significant this indictment was. Jesus confronting the upper echelon of all Israelite culture. I mean, if anybody should have known about the battle lines in the kingdoms, it was the pros. It was these Pharisees. And while they're like, hey Jesus, you're not using four pumps of soap, you only used three. Jesus turns the tables on them and says, you... You ought not be so concerned about external hand-washing. You ought to be concerned about heart-washing. There is a battle for true cleanliness that Luke is showing us. And the Pharisees were on the wrong side of the battle line. For us, then, we have to understand there are clean hearts... And there are wicked hearts. That really is this third battle line. It helps Theophilus, who Luke wrote this book to, as well as us today, understand we've got to do business with how we really live. Which is to say this, church. Church, whether right now your heart is full of holiness or wickedness really does matter. But Jeremy, I'm I'm saved by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. Bless the Lord. I'm so glad you're saved. And of course, you are saved only by faith in Christ. Not because of your holiness. We all agree with that. But Jesus here isn't talking about how you're saved. What he's talking about right now is how you live after you're saved. If you really have been saved by Christ alone... You live holy lives, and how you live matters. How you live matters. Having a heart for justice and love of God is far more important than external religious customs. Here, then the question, for them and us, are we concerned with being clean on the inside? Are we concerned with being clean... On the inside, because here's the deal, church. There are all these external customs that we do today to make ourselves look good. Coming to church is one of them. We clean up, comb our hair. Most of us brush our teeth. Thank you. and We show up at church. And that is something that looks good, but if you're here and the inside of your heart is full of wickedness, Jesus would be confronting you. And in fact, there's times that I wish that like our outward apparel had to match the interior reality of our hearts. Because the truth is, lots of times we go to church and it makes us look good, but our heart is far from God. And we don't want to be those kinds of people. I don't want to be that kind of a pastor. You know, we were singing earlier. Oh how I need you, oh how I need you. And that's real for me. That's real for me because the Lord continues to show man, how powerless I am and how much I need him. And we don't want to be a church where we put on the right clothes and we 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 see each other in the foyer. How you doing? I'm fine. When in fact, I'm not fine. It's okay here to not be okay. Let's not just go to church and do this fake external righteousness crapola. Sorry, I shouldn't say that word. Let's not do this fake external pretend show when in fact in our hearts we are not doing well. Let's have the guts to say to one another, no, 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 how are you really doing? Well, my friends asked me that the other day. Hey, how are you doing? Which in our culture I grant just means hello. So I said hello back. I'm fine. But then he goes, no, 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 how you really doing? And church, let's be that kind of place. That's not just how you doing, hi, hi, see you later. No, how are you really doing? In our, chur- in our culture, this external hand-washing stuff looks like going to church or posting something on Facebook or Instagram with your little Bible and your little journal and your little latte and hashtag having my quiet time with my best friend today getting real with Jesus and just posting that on social before I do it some of you are thinking you jerk I did that this morning and I'm unfriending you (laughs) I didn't see it this morning I'm not going after anybody I'm just it's just an example if you need to keep posting that God bless you Christians Christians are less concerned with how everybody thinks we look. We are concerned with what Jesus really sees. He sees it all. He sees it all. Church, are you concerned with being clean on the inside? Are you concerned with being on the clean on the inside? Because if you're here and you go, man, I'm not clean on the inside. Well, here's what you do. This is where the rubber hits the road. Get real with Jesus. Because he already knows. You get that Right. He already knows the disparity if you're not dealing with your sin. So so be ruthless with your sin. As somebody said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Those are the ways that you respond to sin. You either go, fine, just do whatever you want to me, sin, and it will kill you. The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. He hates you. He hates your family. And he would love for you to justify your sin and just let you think, no, no, it's no big deal. You just leave this gorilla in the closet, just feed it, and it it won't come out and kill you. No, it will. You either kill sin or it will be killing you. That's the response. And so what what I'm trying to get you to do and, and see is if you have this outward appearance of holiness, but inside you're dirty, then you need to deal with your sin. And it's really simple. It's like deceptively simple. You confess your sin. God, I'm sorry. I agree with you. You're right. I'm wrong. And now give me the grace, the courage to do whatever it takes to obey you. And then whatever that thing is, that the Lord has called your attention to that you need to repent of, quit, stop, whatever it is. Well, then you gotta go to work and do it. And it's war. Not saying this is easy, but it is simple. Christians are concerned with being clean on the inside. This is the third battle line clean hearts, evil hearts. Final battle line, the hidden key 45 to 54. The Pharisees, they've, they've been rightfully warned, and there's some of these lawyers. Some lawyers are in the room when Jesus just hammers the Pharisees, and they go, oh, Jesus, you've actually insulted us too, because you were talking about them, and so we're insulted. And Jesus, being an equal opportunity insulter, decides, fine, y'all want some of this action too? I'm about to give it to you. So he, gives, he, leans, he leans into those. Lawyers, which, by the way, are not attorneys. So those of you who are attorneys, are like, okay, <laughs> he's not mad at me. <laughs> no, these lawyers, they were, they were in charge of the, of creating all of these sub-laws from the Old Testament. They got into all the weeds, all the minutiae. And so when it's like, hey, this is what you can do on the Sabbath, they were the ones that wrote all the bylaws for all the 17,000 ways you had to honor the Sabbath and what you can do with the donkey and the water. And and here's the thing. They didn't do any of it. They wrote all the laws, but they didn't actually obey themselves, which is Jesus is upset, so he just hammers them. Look, 46. Woe to you, making people follow rules you don't even follow. There it is. 47, woe to you for building tombs for prophets that your forefathers killed. Which is to say, the lawyers had the same heart as their ancestor Pharisees had who killed all of these prophets. If you didn't know in Israelite history in the Old Testament, there's all these Old Testament prophets who were killed by the Israelites. Old Testament prophets who understood salvation is not by works, it's not by me being good enough, it's by faith in God. And some of these prophets from Abel, the first prophet he's saying got killed, Genesis 3, all the way to Zechariah, which I like that translation because what Luke is doing and Jesus is saying it's from A to Z. All the prophets, from the first died to what we understood to be the last one who died, Abel to Zechariah, You lawyers kill them all. But then you build these fancy tombs and pretend like, oh, we're so sad that those people got martyred. You have the same heart as the people who killed them. Woe to you. 52, here's the biggie. Woe to you for having the key that gets people into the kingdom, but hiding that key and blocking the door. Woe to you, lawyers. To be clear, that key, verse 52, crucial for this section, it's the gospel key. The key is this message that salvation is by faith. We see, that to, we see that to Abraham from the beginning. God's plan for salvation has always been by faith in God's promises. And that key to knowledge, this gospel key, Luke called it the, uh, the mystery that has now been revealed. This key, Jesus explains in Luke 24 when he's walking on the road to Emmaus with Cleopas and a friend. And Jesus says, From Moses to all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself. This gospel key is how salvation is found. And the lawyers had hidden the key and blocked the door. Here's the battle line then. It is those who use the key versus those who hide the key. Helping Theophilus and us to realize we are not to make the same fatal flaw. We must not hide his key. We must use it and share it. Which is the question for us today. Church, will you use and share the gospel key? Will you use and share it? Using it means that you realize. I am not saved by doing all the right things. None of us should show up at judgment someday and say, here's my resume, look how wonderful I did. Or rather, if you do that, you're on the wrong side. Your judgment will not be positive. The key is, I am trusting in you, God, by faith, in Jesus Christ for my salvation. So we show up at judgment and God says, show me the resume. And you go, oh, it's Christ's resume. That's what I'm trusting in. That's the key. We got to use it. And we got to share it. To tell a, a world, however you think you're going to find salvation, the only way, the only key that works in the lock is Jesus. Everything else fails. Church, may we never hide the gospel key. These, then, the four battle lines. And Luke wants a response in this entire text, which brings us to the final question. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? See, in this text, there have been several responses. There were some who, it all started with that mute man. That's where it all began. That mute man got healed, and some said, oh, you're, you're demonic. You're beazel bull. And others said, hmm, that's interesting. Do something bigger. Do a greater sign. Those are poor responses. We saw the Pharisees. And the lawyers, they had a poor response. Did you notice that in 53 and 54? As he went away, the scribes and Pharisees began to press him hard. They were lying in wait for Jesus to catch him. That's the wrong response. The two verses we skipped over, 27, it gives us an additional wrong response. When a woman blesses Jesus' mother, that's not quite it. I mean, be careful if you tell the Catholics that, but that's not quite it. Verse 28. This is the most important verse in this entire section. This is the right response. Verse 28. Jesus said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. There it is. This is the invitation. To hear the teaching of Jesus hear it, and keep it. You must ignore what everybody else might be saying to you. And you may find yourself on the opposite side of this battle line than your brother. This is not just Kelsey Bowl. This is civil war deep. you got to know what side of the battle line you are And as it turns out, you may have family members who don't agree with you. And you need to have the courage to be on Christ's side. Because Christ divides. And some will hear it and they will go, "Mm -mm, I'm not doing that. They've picked their side. But don't let that influence you. You must hear and respond to Jesus' clear teaching. Do you see the clear battle lines? Here's the sermon in a sentence. Hear and respond to Jesus' teaching. That's it, synthesized in one phrase. Church, hear and respond to Jesus' teaching. See, there really is a kingdom. There really is a greater sign. There really is a way to be truly clean on the inside. There really is a gospel key that will unlock the door and get you in To Christ's kingdom. It's true. The warning then throughout this text church, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And all of us will stand up before God Almighty by ourselves. You can't ride anybody else's coattails. Kids, kids, look at me. Whatever your mom and dad believe, will not influence God's decision with you at judgment. You have to decide for yourself. we spouses. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, my spouse really believes. I don't know what I'm really doing with it, but my spouse really believes. That won't cut it. We all answer, it doesn't matter what your neighborhood thinks, it doesn't matter what your small group thinks, it doesn't matter what your great granny thinks, we all will answer individually. There is a battle line, and you are on one or the other, and if you try to pull that Kelsey mom stuff and have half a jersey sewed to the other side, it's you, you've already picked your side, and that's the wrong side. Here's Luke's heart. You gotta pick a kingdom you got to see the signs. you got to be clean on the inside. you got to know and use that key. Will you pray with me? Spirit, we need you to be able to do any of this. And so I pray you would use your word and you would drill these truths deep in our heart and we would respond appropriately. For those here who don't know you, I pray you would light them on fire. I pray, Spirit, you would save For those who do, for those who need to do business with a dirty heart, I pray you would give them courage to get it done. We are so grateful for your word. Thank you for this time you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.